Morning, everyone. Morning. Uh, we're a few weeks now into our new uh, series at Church Central on prayer. And basically, uh, each week we're going to be going through uh, the Bible, looking to learn from some of the great prayers and the great prayers that we find in Scripture. And uh, if you've been here for the last few weeks, you'll know we started off with Abraham, uh, Jacob, Moses, and today we move on to a fellow called Gideon. Okay. Now, without further ado, without me giving any more of an introduction, what I'd like to do right to start today is just to do the whole story of Gideon uh, for us. For this will be a, a familiar story to some of you, to others it won't, but let's just do the whole lot. And uh, rather than often at the beginning, uh, someone doing a talk might kind of signpost you the major themes. This is roughly where we're going to be going. Now let's look here. I just want to ask you a question as, as I do this story. And for those who've, who know this story before, maybe you've not asked this specific question before. Uh, but the question obviously linking to our series is, what element of this story is most helpful to us in our prayer lives? What element of this story is most helpful to us in our prayer lives? Okay. So it's a um, it can take a few minutes. I'll paraphrase a bit, read a little bit, but I think we can do the whole lot uh, in, a, in a few minutes. So let's go. What's the story of Gideon about? Well, the story of Gideon is set at a time when God's people are in real trouble. Uh, Israel are under the thumb of a group of people called the Midianites, and the Midianites have a specific tactic. What the Midianites do is they wait until the Israelites' uh, crops are ready to go. They're herds are suitably plump, then they just sweep in and nick all their stuff, okay? Now, as you can imagine, that would be reasonably annoying, uh, but a bit more, when you're a culture that, like, uh, in the old days, particularly, you depend upon that stuff, that's going to cause you to starve and die, okay? So that's a reason, reasonable problem, and the Med- Midianites had the Israelites on their knees, both metaphorically and literally, it would seem, because it says in the story uh, that they were in such trouble that they cried out to God for help. And the people of uh, Israel are not in a good place with God here. So this shows that they were desperate, okay? They come to God. And actually, the whole story of Gideon is God's response to that prayer. And first, the first thing he does is he sends an angel to this nobody called Gideon. Okay, just to say, like like I said, I'm going to paraphrase some, I'm going to read some. If you wanted to follow in your Bible, it's Judges 6 and 7. We will be going through there, but relevant passages will come here. So the first thing God does, he sends an angel to this guy Gideon, and this is what happens. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Okay? Now, at this point, Gideon realizes this is a reasonably big deal. Uh, you don't go from being a humble wheat thresher to the national hero uh, without, in a moment. And so he asks for some sort of sign here to confirm that this is actually God's message to him. And what he does, he comes up with this idea. He says, right, I'm going to wait here, you guy. Uh, I'm going to go and get a goat and some uh, bread and some other stuff. And I want to bring it over here. And I, look, I want you to show me something special to show me that, what this, that you are who you say you are, basically. Uh, and this is how the story continues. The angel of God said to him, once he got all his stuff together, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. 
Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. As you might imagine, that pretty much did it for him. Yep, probably God then, okay? And so um, that was it, beginning. Gideon was decided. But then later that evening, on the very same evening, God then speaks again to Gideon. Whether it's through an angel or not, we just don't know, but we know that God spoke to him. This is what God said. Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Just so you know, uh, people of Israel turned away from God, but they were still very religious. They served all sorts of other gods. Baal and Asherah would have been two of the, the main ones. Okay, So that's what's going on here. Then, God continues, build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you'd cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the ta- town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall surely be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerob Baal that day, saying, Let Baal contend with him. So in a story we've just had recently, Gideon ends this story with a new name. But most importantly for Gideon, he ends it alive. It's a reasonably close shave, I'm sure you can see. Now, It's uh, not sure how much time passes, but after an amount of time, the Midianites once again uh, gather their forces. In fact, this time they get some of their mates as well. The Amalekites come along uh, to attack Israel. Now, could have been their normal yearly raid. Could have been intended to be something a little bit more final. We're not 100% sure. Uh, But basically, there is a different response from Israel this time because a leader has emerged from the ranks. And you'll never guess who it is. Uh, Gideon is that leader. Okay, It says in the passage, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And what he does, he summons together the Abizrites, who are his people. And uh, with the help of the Abizrites, they get four of the 12 tribes of Israel together and they join forces to kind of... uh, Come against the Midianites and the Amalekites and all those guys. Okay, but before any fighting happens, before they even kind of properly come together, Gideon goes to God again. Okay, and this is what he says: Gideon said to God, "If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said." And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. Let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Now, once again, uh, God responds to, uh, Gideon responds to these signs of God uh, in faith. And there, so Gideon then, on the back of this, is okay, fair enough, God's with me. He goes and he gets his army and they proceed to set up camp opposite the Midianites, ready to go. But again, before any action happens, again, God speaks to Gideon. Okay, this is what happens. 
You have too many men, Gideon, is what God says. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now, announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank with cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Now, that night, Gideon and his hugely depleted army went down to sleep. Okay, God comes again, just as probably as Gideon's dropping off, and he speaks to Gideon privately once again. And he says this, he says, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So Gideon gets his servant. They kind of sneak down to the camp. I imagine they probably hide behind a bush or something like that. And they overhear this conversation of these two Midianite soldiers. This is how it goes. I had a dream, one of them said. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His Midianite friend responded with an interpretation of this dream. said this, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Ah! Last bit, not quite in the passage. Now, Gideon's really encouraged by this. He's heard God say, I'm with you. He's even heard from his enemies that they believe God's with him, so he might as well believe it as well. And he goes back to his 300 men and says, guys, we're going to do this. And he comes up. You probably did this in Sunday school. Some of you, this elaborate scheme involving torches, trumpets, and, and uh, jars. I'm not going to go into it too much. Uh, but the idea is to make a sudden show of force, which, of course, was completely false because there's only 300 of them. Okay? But just to scare the, the uh, Midianites into doing something stupid. They, it works like a charm. The Midianites panicked from these crazy dreams anyway all peg it start attacking each other as they go and Gideon uses the opportunity he he goes and he contacts the army that he sent home he also contacts another of the tribes of Israel and basically they chase the Midianites and eliminate the threat of Midian completely from that point there we have the story of Gideon Judges 6 to 7 that will settle in I suppose some of us would know that some of you think well this is kind of good story is it it's a great story now back to my question then, what element of this story then is most helpful to us in our prayer lives? Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or kind of get ideas. I'm just going to say what I think many people have taken from this story. Probably the most popular thing from this story that people have taken would all focus around this strange fleece episode halfway through as regards how we pray. Okay, For many they would see this passage as giving us a very helpful method of deciding and finding out God's will and God's guidance on certain matters. And so for some, okay, I'm not saying it's what you think necessarily, I'm just saying this is a a popular view and it may well overlap with some here. Uh, For some, this story teaches us to ask God for signs that he is with us. That's what some people would take from this story. And so I'd like to to start by examining that. Is that what we can take from this story? How does that work and all that sort of stuff? Now, it is clear 
where this came from, because Gideon is the inventor of the Show Me a Sign School of Guidance. We've got to see that. He is the main man in this. He's written all the paperbacks, okay? He's got the, he's got the conference series down on this one. Because it's not just the fleece thing. There are three signs he asks for here. First one, this guy is talking, this, this kind of angel character. He says, okay, I want to know, like, are you really who you say you are? Here's some, here's some kind of an offering. Uh, and in that case, he asks for a sign. And the angel obliges in that case. And then we've got the, the fleecing, which is obviously two signs, not one. Make the fleece wet, the, w- the floor dry. Make the fleece dry, the floor wet. So he asks for three uh, different signs. And on each occasion, God obliges and gives him the sign he's looking for. Now, I'm not surprised our minds are attracted to a story like this because the idea that God can give us guidance is an incredibly, uh, uh, it's an attractive idea for us. When we pray, we don't just pray for things, do we? The fact that we can pray to the all-wise God who knows how everything's going to pan out and knows the best thing to do in all situations, well, no, a little bit of guidance, God, will come in handy now again. And I'm sure we all know that. And I'm sure we've all thought of that many times. And when it comes to big decisions, we want God to guide us. We want him to help us. Could be all sorts of things. Could be, what, uh, what courses should I take for my GCSE exams? Could be, which university should I go to? Or should I go to university? What job should I do? Where should I live? Uh, Who do I go out with and ultimately marry? Should I get married? Should I have kids? How do I bring up those kids? How many kids do I have? Should I retire? When should I retire? Where should I retire? And on and on and on, okay? I'm sure that for everyone here, some of those questions would have been in your mind at some point, looming large. And I would imagine for most of us, some of those questions are looming large right at this moment. And so with those questions in our mind, this passage then presents us with potentially a very simple strategy to fix the problem, doesn't it? Okay? Here's how it goes. Let's break it down. What you do, you get a little inkling of what you think is the right thing to do. Maybe do a little research or just kind of gut feeling, whatever it will be, but an inkling. And then you go to God and say, think this would be a good idea, God. Uh, now you need to show me. And you set some test to kind of get God to show you whether that's the case. And if he does the test, that's the case. If he doesn't do it, well, obviously you were off beam and you need to try something else, okay? So it could be the test could be any sort. could be if someone uh, mentions that girl or boy that I fancy in conversation, well, I should then go out with them. That could be one. You could think, if I see today, Lord, a billboard poster for that company that I'm thinking of applying for a job for, well, that's a sign. That's done. Done deal. God's spoken. If that part of the country that I want to move to appears in a news report, well, that's the sign, that's the fleece that I'm looking for. And you could obviously add a time period to this in the next day, week, month, year. Depends on your urgency, I suppose. But uh, there we go, we've got it in a, in a simple way. Now, looking around at you guys today, I can see the disparaging looks thinking, Johnny, you, you, you pitched this all wrong. That's, that's not us. That's really silly. We're far more spiritual than that. Okay, so I need to engage you a bit more. Let's try this. I think this is similar. I think this will maybe hit, actually, by the way, I'm looking around thinking some of you are looking a bit sheepish going, yeah, I did do that exact thing. <laughs> okay, so just so you know. Um, but we could put this much more spiritually. What happens if we say this? God, if this is right, I would like you to speak to me directly about it in that church meeting that I'm going to. Even today, maybe, you're coming, God, speak to me. Would someone pray out a prayer that, that or the, the preacher would bring something specifically to this situation? That's not that difficult. They're different, actually. Or maybe it's reading the Bible. Lord, in the passage I read today, which I'm going to open at random, talk to me, speak to me about this thing. I want to know what to do. Okay, now, obviously, we can think of a million very silly applications of this passage. I will ask my girlfriend to marry me if at 3.58 tomorrow afternoon a bird flies upside down into that telegraph pole out of my window. I mean, that would be ridiculous, okay? 
But at the same time, I'm sure almost everyone in this room who's a Christian has tried something similar to this in the past at some point. And I'd probably go further than say for some of us, this is our go-to method of finding out God's guidance. Uh, You might think I'm about to now say, how foolish. You should choose the higher way. No, I'm with you, completely with you on this. I've done this many, many times. In fact, I can think of one occasion, uh, which I know I've said before, sorry if if this is repetitive for some of you in my life, where I went full out Gideon on this. You know what, Gideon would have been proud. It was when, I'll I'll tell you what it was. I went to university, when I went to university, 18-year-old, I must admit, I say it with no pride, I was pretty intent on ditching God out of my life. I, I felt that university seemed like an excellent opportunity to apply my energies in directions which, according to the Bible, God wouldn't have been very pleased with. And I thought, this is great. No, no parents around, no Christian youth leaders, no Christian friends. Fantastic. This is going to be very straightforward. Okay? That's in one side of my head. Okay? However, I had this niggling suspicion, who knows where it may have come from, this was an incredibly bad <laughs> course of action and idea, okay? Uh, as an 18-year-old, I, I had history with God, you know? I wasn't, I can say very genuinely, I wasn't just uh, living out of faith that was someone else's that my parents had put on me. No, I'd, I was living out of faith that, from things that was based on things I'd seen with my own eyes, things I'd, I'd grapple with and come out the other side with convictions uh, that I owned. And so while this hedonistic, godless lifestyle seemed quite attractive, I was, there was a tussle, there was a battle in me. Okay? And I thought, how will I settle this battle? How will I decide what to do? I know what I'll do. Fleece. It's the way ahead. A fleece is the answer. And this is my fleece, and it was very specific. I did a deal with God, or I thought I did anyway. Uh, I said, God, right, okay, if you're really there, and all this Christian stuff is true, and you want me to take as seriously as people say uh, that they do, I want you to provide me with a friend at university, and he must have, well, he or she, I wasn't too specific on this, two qualities, okay, must have two qualities or characteristics. One, must be a Christian, okay, that's the first one. Second, must be into exactly the same type of music as I am. Now, I know some of you uh, would think at this point, oh, I was looking for a really difficult one, Johnny. You've put the bar really low <laughs> on that. You're at university, 60,000 people. That's the whole point of university. You meet people who are like you. That's the whole deal. But you, I've got to, I just so you understand my situation, I didn't think this. In fact, I thought what I was offering was impossible. And there were two reasons for that that I still think it was a pretty big ask. And the first would be the type of music I was into and still am to some degree. I, as many of you will know, it's uh, one of my many failings, am a fan of hip-hop music, okay? And definitely was then in a more fanatical manner, I would imagine. Rap music, call it what you like. And just so you know, uh, I wasn't, I'm not talking about Christian rap. I'm talking about the rap that everybody listens to, okay? And if anyone has a passing uh, uh, knowledge of the genre, you will know that the subject matter and language used in much rap that I was listening to at the time means that it's unlikely to be played as background music at Christian Union while you're having a tea and biscuit, okay? So that's the first thing. The second thing was what I meant by being into this type of music. Now be clear, I was not talking about someone meaning someone who could tolerate rap music or liked it a bit or knew the, the, the words for the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme tune. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about. As far as I'm concerned, and was, was concerned then, one's relationship to music was a strictly monogamous affair. Okay? To, to like hip-hop meant to listen only to hip-hop. Okay? Forsaking all others, whether it be jazz or folk, dance music or indie, rock or pop, and being faithful only to hip-hop for as long as you both shall live, I do. Okay? That, that, was, <laughs> that was my approach to music. Okay? Now, 
Whether I got my inspiration from Judges 6 or not, I don't know. But as far as I was concerned, this fleece was a biggie. It was just as hard as this whole dew thing, which I don't understand the weather, so I don't really understand that at all, to be honest. But this was a tricky one, okay? I'd never met anyone who fitted the bill, and I didn't think there were many of them around. And guess what? Just like Gideon, just like Judges 6, God met my terms. <laughs> Strange to say, but he went a bit further as well. And again, some of you know this, so sorry about that, but it's still a great thing. I love thinking about this stuff. Okay? First few days of term, I meet this guy, and we hit it off. First guy I hit off with, end up my friend for most of the university. Okay, some of you know this guy, actually, because he's been in the church here. Um, and of course, this was a no-brainer. He was into hip-hop. That was what I was into. That was the case. And he ticked all the boxes. I remember the day in his flat, uh, uh, Chamberlain Hall, uh, looking through, he was sneaked out to lose. I sneaked his, his CD collection. Okay, yeah, good, good, good. Now, I'll be honest with you. A little bit too much West Coast, not enough New York based hip hop. I let that pass. There were a couple of R&B albums in there as well. But uh, generally, it was okay. Okay, so he passed my test. Some of you think, what are you on about? I was a proper nerd. I really was. I still am, but I was more. Okay, so the CD collection was good. And the big win for me was he was not just into rap, he was a rapper. In fact, he was really good. And on almost our first meeting, we decided we are going to be in a band together. This was going really well. Okay. Two weeks later, two weeks into term, I come back to my flat. There is a scrumpled piece of paper under my door. I pick it up. I open it on the piece of paper. It says this, Johnny, I've just found out you're a Christian. I hadn't told him. Someone must have done. You're a Christian. You'll never guess. You'll never guess. Oh, I could never guess what was coming next. So am I. Great. Wow, this is a surprise. I'm part of a church in London. We're part of this group of churches called New Frontiers. You've probably never heard of it. As an aside at this point, I had heard of New Frontiers. Uh, my church back home was a New Frontiers church. We are a New Frontiers church. There were only about 150 in the country at that time. He said, if you haven't heard of it, he continued in the letter, uh, we're famous because of this Bible week. We go, Stony Bible Week, okay? Uh, it's camping in a field. We do, I, do it every, I go every year. As an aside, I'd heard of Stony Bible Week. In fact, I'd gone every year too, meaning me and Mike had been in the same field every summer for the last five years in this, exactly the same kind of church, using exactly the same kind of music, even more than I'd asked, and I'd asked and God had given. Wow, I'd laid out my fleece. God had met the terms of my deal. And uh, actually, whenever we go with this passage, I'm being honest with you, that's a, a monumental moment in my life. I look back to I think, that's crazy. What happened on that occasion? But I thank God for it. So there you have it. That was what many people take from this story. This story teaches us to ask for signs to find out God's will. In the Bible, the hero Gideon says it. The preacher who is before you has personal experience of it. Surely then, this is a no-brainer. This is what we need to do, isn't it? Now, it might come to you as some surprise, having said all that, that I don't necessarily believe that that's true. I'll explain it. I think why a modicum of caution should be shown here when we consider fleeces and Gideon in general. Okay, there's two things. First one is this, a short one. The second one's more important. Gideon is in a book, as I mentioned, called Judges. And the book of Judges, does anyone know anything about the book of Judges? Pretty nice affair, really, isn't it? No, not at all. Um, the heroes of Judges are among the most morally ambiguous in the whole Bible. Okay? This book is a cautionary tale of why a culture should not abandon God. Okay? From start to finish, it, it says that. Okay? And, and this is what happens. If a culture abandons God fully, like the Israelites did in Judges, okay, and we see this all over the place, it affects the baddies in that culture, but it also affects the goodies in that culture. 
So there are people, if your culture is totally awful, you might follow God in this way and like pull yourself or God pull you out of the mire and you might do some great stuff and be a hero in that sort of sense but you're still in your culture and there will be blind spots that you are unaware of meaning you still might do terrible things okay do you see what I'm saying okay you might look back in modern churches and think how did that famous Christian do that and you see it's very hard to shake off the evil in our culture and we see that in Judges Hebrews 11 lists a whole load of guys from this book and makes very clear from the book of Judges, says these guys are heroes of faith. Okay, so think we're safe with these guys. These are good guys. If you were to just follow, emulate those guys just listed in Hebrews, do you know what you'd end up doing? Sleeping with prostitutes, building idols and sacrificing your children. Just so you know, those are bad things. Okay, we're all on the same page there. All I'm saying is we need a bit of caution before we go, he did it in Judges. He seems to be a goodie. Let's do it, okay? Fair enough. That's the first thing. Second, more specific and more important. We've got to see this. When Gideon offers these fleeces to God, he is not seeking guidance in a situation in which God has been silent, is he? And what's he doing? He is expressing doubt as to what God has clearly told him to do. And he knows it. Verse 36 of chapter 6. This is how he starts. It's, it's, this is not a good way to start talking to God. If you will save Israel from my hand as you have promised... Wait a minute, run that by me again. If, as you have promised, God promised. Gideon knew that God had already said this. It's not that he wanted guidance, he just didn't believe him. That's the long and short of it. And surely we could say that is not an ideal situation and an ideal model to be following. Got we say at this point, notice the difference between the different signs that Gideon asked for in this story. I think the first one is pretty fair enough, actually. In the passage, we get this idea, God sends an angel to Gideon. But let's face it, that angel who came to Gideon did not come with wings. He was not glowing. He was not part of a choir singing glory to God in the highest. Okay? He would have looked like a normal bloke, just talking to Gideon. Okay? Slightly odd, but that's how it was. And Gideon's request, he puts it in verse 17, as regards to the first sign, he says this, Give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. That is utterly reasonable, I think, of Gideon. Otherwise, how does he know this guy's not just some vagabond wandering around stirring up sedition against Midian? I mean, it could be anyone. As Christians, we're not meant to just believe everything that people tell us. Oh, well, he said it. Therefore, that's the case. No, I don't know if you noticed this. Our faith, Christianity, is a faith that is built upon objective evidence. And it is not wrong to ask God for objective evidence for the things we believe. Overall, we have a, the whole thing is built upon one day, many years ago, that whatever my opinion is and whatever your opinion is, it's not going to change it. It either happened or it didn't, and we believe it did, when a guy who was dead came back to life again, Jesus Christ. This is based on objective evidence, and God will always, when he asks us faith, there is evidence for it. The evidence might be the past faithfulness of God in our lives. It might be uh, experiences that we have. It might be a subjective thing, but there is always evidence. I encourage you, if, if you're not a Christian here, you know what, I, I think Gideon's first question, I think that's a good way to go on this in some ways, okay? It's, it's fair enough to say, look, God, I don't know. I mean, I know for you, if you're not a Christian, you come to our church first time, I'm some guy talking to so, about some book to you. You could go to any number of places across this city where you could hear some guy or some lady speaking about some book to you. And the guys will be different, the books will be different. Just because you're here doesn't mean it's God's will that you're here. It could be anywhere. What was the thing? I I would encourage you to look into the objective evidence for the Christian faith. 
Look into it. Ask questions about that stuff. Even sometimes, I think it's a fair thing to go to God. Is God, you know what? I could do with some help here. Like, if you're there, just show yourself to me. I'm not saying he will. I'm not saying he'll do it in the same way as you, you want to. But I think that's a fair enough thing to ask, just as Gideon uh, asked. I think we'll come on to something later that you need to know as well. But that's the case with the first sign. However, when we get to the fleece, surely we've got to shake our heads at naughty Gideon and say, you really should have known better, mate. I mean, as regards objective evidence, an angel that blows stuff up and disappears is pretty good. I don't think you forget that sort of thing, okay? He should have known. There's no question. Gideon's response of asking for this fleece thing is certainly not ideal. It's definitely unbelief, and it's probably verging on rebellion from Gideon. You might have clocked this already. When I reflect on my example, of course, exactly the same is true. I wasn't asking when I was at university for a little more clarity on something I didn't know whether it was right or not. No, I knew exactly what was right. I just didn't want to do it. That was the long and short of it. And so I came up with completely unreasonable and very arrogant terms of a deal that God would have been completely within his rights to just say, yeah, right, mate, off you go. You can reap the whirlwind if you're stupid and go and do all that stuff. There's nothing there. God would have been absolutely fine to do that. So do we learn from this passage that we should ask God for signs to find out his will in situations? Well, I'd argue it's, not, it's certainly not as clear-cut as it might seem. So has the passage failed us? No, I, I think the issue is this, and it's so often the issue with the Bible. We're asking a question I don't think this passage is interested in, or at least it's not mainly interested in. I think we come to this story often looking and thinking, this passage, is, this story's for me. Like, what can I do? How can I get God on my side? And we think, therefore, it's this passage is about asking God, that we, telling us we should ask God for signs that he's with us. Flip that on his head for a minute, because I think there's a stronger message in this passage, although it's worded similarly. I think this story actually teaches us about the signs that God asks us to show that we are with him. I'll explain what I mean by that. You see, we shouldn't see this as just, this is not just a story of God giving in to a person's demands. There's a certain amount of give and take here. I don't know if you spotted that. In fact, an almost completely parallel matter of give and take. Whenever Gideon asks God for a sign that he's with him, God responds almost immediately and says, all right then, I'll match your sign. You now give me a sign you're with me. So you've got the angel, okay? Angel, come and do this, all right? Done. He says, that very night, God says this. And you can read into that, okay, I've shown you, I'm with you. What about you? Go and destroy your father's altars. Go and do this public uh, sacrilege of their religion. Do it there, okay? It's one after the other. Fleece has come. He says, do I want wet fleece, dry ground? Is that enough, Gideon? Uh, actually, God, as you did that one, let's just even it out. Dry fleece, wet ground. Okay, okay. Next day, it says, or a couple of days later, God says, okay, Gideon, we ready for battle now? Not quite. Got something for you. Why don't you get rid of two-thirds of your army for me? I want to know you with me. Gideon, are we done now, God? Or were you done with the wet fleece, Gideon? No, we're not done now. Let's get it down to 300. How about that? Now, in each case, God answers Gideon's request. But amazingly, Gideon also answers God's tests as well. I think so often, and I've done this before, I know we wish God treated us like he treated Gideon. I don't know if you've ever done this. God, you showed him. You gave him your will. You're leaving me to work things out on myself. You know what? I don't think we really would like to be treated like Gideon. I really don't. What are the three tests that God gives Gideon? Okay, number one, almost certain death, Gideon. Can you do that? Number two, 
Almost certain death, Gideon, do that. Number three, even more almost certain death, Gideon. These are big asks from God for Gideon. The words of Jesus in Luke twelve forty eight come to mind. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now, clearly, this is not some formula, and it won't play itself out as neatly as this. But I think it shows us something general that is as true for us as it was for Gideon that I think we really need to hear as the core of this message and what God's got for us in this passage as regards stuff today. As we seek for God to show himself to us and to give us evidence that he is with us, we must know he too is seeking we show ourselves to him and give him evidence that we are with him. And every time that evidence is the same, it's obedience. When Gideon laid his fleeces before God, he'd already showed himself, the fleeces bit, verse 36, he'd already showed himself willing to obey God in a highly dangerous mission. When he came with the fleeces, he was unbelieving, he was fearful, but he'd showed himself to be obedient. I think that's important. I've been reflecting a lot this week, coming to this passage with that experience I had years ago, and thinking, this is odd, like, how do I approach these things, and how, what was going on then? Like, what was, what was that whole thing about? And God reminded me of something that I'd forgotten, actually, which again fits into this story perfectly. I remember two weeks, it's a tiny thing, you might think, but I wonder how tiny it is in the grand scheme of things. Two weeks before I came to university, um, and again, it relates to music, I remember God speaking to me very, very clearly about something. And it was a silly thing, it was a music-related thing. Uh, with the, uh, Like I said before, uh, the music I listened to, a lot of the content's not great, and I, I wasn't as bad as as I could have been, I did have standards actually, and there's something said, no, I'm not listening to that, I'm not going to listen to that, that's okay. But I let them slip a bit before university. And uh, there's one album I bought, just was going on holidays for, I bought it, and I had it on cassette. Does everyone know what a cassette is here? Just check, good, that's, that's important. Um, uh, I had it on cassette, and I was listening to it all the time, really good music, but I was feeling uneasy about the content of it. I remember sitting on my bed, I remember the room I was in at the time, and God saying to me, it's got to go. And I huffed and puffed a bit. I was like, mm, I'm sure it's not as bad as some of the other music I listened to. Oh, no, don't say that. <laughs> Could be in real trouble. Okay. Um, but I remember, he didn't say sell it. He didn't say stop listening to it. He said destroy it. So I did. I, you know, they're quite hard to break, actually. But you can rip up the tape stuff, wrap it all around. Good fun. Put it in the bin. Okay. Now, I wasn't in a great place with God, as I'm sure you've, you've heard. I'm definitely not saying that to boast. But I'd learned something in my Christian life, I think, at that point, that Although there were times I'd shut my ears to God and I'd run away from him and I'd hide from his voice. I was no way perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Still am not. I'd clock this. If God says something, it's a good idea to do what he says. I tended to obey. Didn't do it all the time. Don't do it all the time. Sometimes I have to repent for messing things up. But more often than not, that's a lesson I'd learned and I put into practice then. And I, I wonder, and this is a question, this is pure speculation, this is not God's word for you today, I'm just thinking it through, whether that moment was a significant moment, that moment with the tape. I wonder when I came to God with my arrogant terms, just like Gideon did with his arrogant fleeces, God said, yeah, but you did obey, didn't you? So okay, let's see where this goes. Now, whether, whatever you take of that, whether that's just merely spurious and I'm just reading too much into stuff, what I've definitely found ever since is that like Gideon, relationship with God doesn't just involve me getting God to help me with stuff. That's the case. God is not a horoscope that if we use him right, it will lead us to health, wealth, and, and happiness. Please understand that. You need to remember that all the time because everything pushes in that direction. 
Now, God's a jealous God who's on a mission to rescue the people he loves from the sin that has so entranced them. And he wants you to be wrapped up in that mission. If you're not a Christian, I said before, it's okay to go to God with a sign. Ask that. But you've got to be aware of this. There will come a time where he will say, for you though, I need something from you. Will you obey me? Becoming a Christian is not just having a new friend who's really powerful, like a genie on your side. No, it's saying Jesus is Lord. Sometimes, I've noticed in the past, people who come into Jesus and say, I want a sign from you, God. God says to them specifically, in a way they can understand, first of all, I want you to do that. I'd encourage you to listen. I'd encourage you to take that seriously as you trust God. We're, we're not coming to some dictator, but we're coming to a God who, yes, he's, he's wonderful. Yes, he, does he improve your life? Yes. Does he lead you to good things? Yes. But within all of that, he asks us of things. And they're good things, but sometimes they're tough things. If you're looking for guidance, you've got to realize, actually, it's the moments of obedience so often that are the big decisions, not the little ones. Often I've found he asks for my obedience in lots of different ways. Usually it's, it's through his word. Do not get drunk on wine. Flee from sexual immorality. Love your enemies. Forgive everyone who sins against you. Do not let any, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Go and make disciples of all nations. So often he asks for obedience. Sometimes it is through that pricking of the conscience. It'd be different for all of you, but particularly because we feel with the Spirit. It's like having a super conscience. You'll know how that feels. and That's just important. When God pricks your conscience, you say, yeah, okay, you're God. That's important. And we often think the big decisions are these ones we don't know about. The, where should I live? What job should I do? Please, we need to flip that idea around. I know there's lots of, those decisions seem very scary. But the big, the decisive decisions are not those decisions. The decisions we don't know about. The decisive decisions in our lives are the ones we know exactly what we should do. Should you lie to your boss to get you off the hook for a blunder at work? Should you withhold information on your tax form? Should you start a romantic relationship with that person who's not a Christian? You know what? The Bible is categorically clear. God has spoken on those things. But those are the things often we go, but yeah, I know, but you know, you know. God doesn't matter. Grace, you know. It doesn't really matter. I want to be clear with you. It matters. It really matters, those sort of things. Just, just to clarify, this is not, we don't serve some tit-for-tat God who says, if you do this, I'll do this. No, no, our God's a God of grace. He always gives us more than we deserve. He often gives us the opposite of what we deserve in a good way. But at the same time as that, we've got to be clear, God rewards obedience. He does. We see it all through the Bible and all through history. For some of you here, if you're frustrated that God won't give you the sign you're looking for, God would say this as gently as he can. Okay, but if you won't obey me in the areas where you know my will, how can my service be of any help to you in the other areas? Let's finish then. I think giving a beautiful bit of balance to this uh, with this last part of the story where we just see God's tenderness right at the end. And I think this, if you've kind of got questions of, wow, how does this all work together? I think it brings it together beautifully. So let's return right to the end of the story. Uh, Gideon's there, isn't he? God's given him his three tests. Gideon's given God his three tests. God's responded with three of his own. And there's Gideon there with 300 people about to fight a battle. With, it says the army had more camels than you could count. That's probably a lot of people involved there as well. Although well, I wouldn't want to fight camels. I don't like them a lot. Uh, but anyway, um, and this is what happens. So you think, I know Gideon up to this point. We all know what's coming, don't we? We know what to expect. 
Where, where is it, Gideon? God, give me a sign. Are you still with me? It never happens at the end of the story. Why not? Because God jumps in first. Did you notice that? As we were saying God jumps in first. Seven, uh, Judges 7 verse 10. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp and listen to what they are saying. And he gives these dreams to the Midianites and this sign is given that God tenderly gives Gideon before he even asks him. To this, to this unbelieving guy, you'd have thought God would be annoyed by this stuff. Now God comes to him first, isn't it? Matthew 6 verse 8. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. That's the God we serve. He's gracious with us in our weakness. Is it wrong to ask God for a sign? Not necessarily, no. We are weak. We can get afraid. We're down. But God knows us. He knows us deep down. And actually, there's some times where he'll jump in first because he knows us and he loves us. And he'll give us something we didn't even know we needed. He'll give us more. There are other times where we come to him, even with bad attitudes, and ask him, and he gives it to us. There are other times where we ask him, and it, for one reason or another, he says, no, I'm not going to come with that. I want you to develop wisdom on that. I want you to ask for advice on that, but I want you to do something. I don't want you just to sit around. In all of this stuff, though, whatever, however it goes with that, we've got to remember, it's not the decisions that we don't know what to do that are the big ones. God's given us clarity on a whole load of others. Let's be a people who focus on obeying in the things we know we should do, rather than worrying about the decisions we're unsure about. Because Jesus said this, couldn't have said it any more plainly. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you.